We're continuing our sermon series in Acts. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this blabber wish to say? Blabber wish to say. Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the earth, on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even one of your poets have said, for we, indeed, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought to not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of men. The times of ignorance, these, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. By a man who he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed. Among them were Dionysus the Areopagite, Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris. And others with them. And this is the word of the Lord. Good morning, I'm Howard Brown, the uh, senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. Happy Mother's Day um, to everybody. Um, I definitely appreciate the one who's the mother of my own children, Kelly. Uh, happy Mother's Day to you. Um, it's been going on four years now uh, that I uh, lost my own mother. So. Um, I just thank God for her. She loved me well. She loved my brothers well. Um, she was the woman who led me to the Lord, and I would say even to the ministry. Um, and uh, as far as spiritual mother is concerned, every single person in the neighborhood was in our house. I wondered if it was for spiritual mothering or for the food she made. But, um, yeah, you couldn't sit in that kitchen without getting a sermon um, or some type of counsel. Um, and so, please... Uh, honor 
uh, mothers this day. And um, I'm going to go ahead and say this now before. So we have a bunch of flowers up front. And uh, this is an honor of Mother's Day. Um, and uh, I am, we're going to have half of them. There's, how many do we have? Eight or seven or something? Thank you, Laura. That's a lot of flowers. Um, thank you for your work. Um, we're going to have half of them in the back, and half will stay at the front. And so at the end of worship, Go get a flower, um, just in honor of Mother's Day. Men and women, come get a flower in honor of Mother's Day this morning. Just a reminder about this book of Acts that we're going through. I can't get to everything. We've skipped whole parts of it. And even the passage we're going to look at today, I can't go into all the nooks and crannies of this particular passage. And so we are going to have a learning community a, on Sunday morning to go through this book more uh, slowly. And uh, leading that Sunday school is going to be Michael Hughes, um, who's sitting over here. Michael, raise your hand one more time. And I've sat with him, and we're going to go through this, and he's going to lead it, and I'm going to stop in, and we're just going to go through this book uh, at a better pace. And I recommend that you attend that on Sunday morning. And I'm not sure exactly what date it's going to be. Maybe the third or fourth Sunday in June it will start up. As we continue in this study, wisdom was a popular ideal in the Greek world that the first century church found itself in. It basically meant having a solid philosophy of life that could become a school of thought. Someone who was wise or of the wisdom group could be one of the respected orators of the day. Like our own poets, these were those who were deep. Wisdom was being deep and real and honest and at the same time spiritual. The wisdoms were the predecessors and proto-professors to universities and, 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 and tenured professors. Get it wrong back in the day, though, and you might be sentenced to die, ask Socrates. But things had changed once the Romans took over. Couldn't kill anyone or sentence anyone to die for being a bad professor, or else UNC Chapel Hill would be a bloodbath right now. But anyway, these group of thinkers who held intellectual court in Athens heard that the Apostle Paul, a thinker in his own right, being an alumnus of the prestigious Tarsus University, that he was going around talking about Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. As the guardians of thought, and religion, they, they welcomed Paul in to share his, as they described, babbling thoughts to them. Now, the heavy hitters in this wisdom, intellectual, religious accreditation crew were from two extreme camps. The Epicureans, whose oversimplified motto was, eat, drink, and be merry before we die tomorrow. They were about avoiding displeasure at all costs. If it hurts, make it feel better or move away from it. On the other side were the Stoics. They didn't want an epidural of Vicodin for life. In fact, they thought it wrong. You should not control or counter life's pain. Just take it on the chin and endure it like a hero, like a saint. They believed in taking the rough side of the mountain, working through it. But both groups leaned on their philosophies religiously. And their philosophies were enshrined and deified all over the city. Uh, for every philosophy and thought, a divine counterpart or idol or statue. 
And Paul, bothered by so many of these thoughts, what was his message in the middle of this madness? The gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as Lord and King and God. And that word, that statement is the word to the wise for the wisdom of this world. And what is it that this passage teaches us here? That the God of the Bible is the true wisdom behind all things. That the wisdom of this world moves us oftentimes away from God. And finally, that Jesus comes to redeem our wisdom. When Paul enters the council before some of the most respected thinkers of, of, of his day at Areopagus on Mars Hill, he declares to the wise and the wisdom seekers and holders of the day that behind their wisdom and all wisdom and all people and all that people do or think is the God of the Bible. Look with me at verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I, I find also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, our as even some of your own prophets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying that the God of the Bible is the creator, the architect, the designer, the sustainer, the divine prototype and protagonist behind all people and all that people do, that we human beings are are not the originators of ourselves and are not original on anything that we do, that, that the Lord creator alone created the world ex nihilo, that's out of nothingness, and we were created by him, come from him, and therefore we reflect and express not something that we got from ourselves, or from nothing, but from what and how God himself has created and built them and us and put it all in us. The intellect and presence behind our ethnicity and our history and our technology and our science and our humanities and our liberal arts and our performance arts, even in this case here in this passage, even in our ability to make idols and false gods, it can only be because God The God of the Bible is connected to all people and all that people do. Which means this. We see Paul use quotations from their prophets, or I'm sorry, their poets, that all truth is God's truth. That all true and beautiful and right and wonderful relationally and empirically and artistically that people do is only because their divine given image and imagination and ability is coming out into the surface and in action that our very emotions and constructions of pleasure and passivity and anarchy and legalism or our preoccupation with the unknown and natural law are all God created as human characteristics that have their origin and perfection in the divine God. Which means there are some very basic things to being human. 
there are some basic connections between humans with each other and to the God they are called to serve. Which means this. All human beings can relate to God. And so all human believers in Jesus or not can relate, relate and converse with each other on a God-image basic level in the disciplines and arts of being human. And for believers in the church, it means that there are real bridges and of communications with others who may not believe in the same God as we do, that there are apologetic commiserates and sympathetics and empathetics to being human. We can see eye to eye on a lot and almost anything in creation a human can interact with or be a part of music and culture and the environment, the politics, the finances, the, the relationships we are all a part of keeps us God-connected. It's what makes us and keeps us human. So believers in the church are called to connect to humanity, to humanity, to see and recognize and, and appreciate the beauty and, and awesomeness of others out of praise to God who made them in awe of the dignity and beauty and wonder they possess that you may not. But to reach and talk and learn from each other, not simply for their conversion, but even for your own growth and praise as a human being who may worship the God of the Bible. We have a controversy going on in our denomination, surprise, over this group, the Biologos group, looking at earth and creation and Genesis and all that stuff, and in Metro New York Presbytery of, of our of Presbyterian churches up there, they recently had a symposium on the beginnings of the earth. And among the presenters were non-Christian scientists who explained their reasons and data from macro and micro evolution outside of creation. And the pastors of, of that presbytery were criticized for allowing these scientists to come by, to, to come. But they were criticized by many churches. Now, these scientists were talking to other pastors. And I understand the surface concern. But they explained that. That was their goal. There was a need to understand the thinking and reasoning in order to reach and care and build a bridge for the scientists in their congregation who were believers or who would be believers around them. They were seeking to, to find and hear the God bridge between them and the scientific world, which it, in it has some God-given, ordained, and sustained reality because he made the scientists and gave the wisdom behind their ability to think and wonder and seek answers even if in the end there are some things wrong with it. In seminary, it was explained to me that we need to have apologetic glasses on. That, it, that is these colored glasses where we can see where others are, are God-given in their image and dignity so that we can see the good. I didn't say holy, but the good that may be that God has created and all people have. We must listen. Hear me, church. Hear me, church people. We must listen and learn and appreciate people and more so what God has done and sustains and ordains, what people think and do before we can have the empathy and heart and mind to reach them or simply love them well as Christ has commanded. Christians and the church 
can be the most ignorant people around. We don't know what's going on. We don't even care to know. We don't know what's happening with people or going on in the world around us. We are oblivious to the world and what God may be doing in leading them to himself. We deem it as not good or it just isn't, and that is just not completely true. Let me ask you a question. Is a good or the best hamburger or guitar player or mathematician or hip-hop artist or designer or tech person or carpenter, take Jesus out that formula, or educator only a Christian? No way. I see some of the stuff y'all do. There's some non-Christians who do it better. There are some atheists that build stuff that look like maybe God might have done it. And yours look like whatever God wouldn't do. When I go to the restaurant, I don't want to know if the man's a Christian necessarily. I want to know whether my food's going to be moist, it's going to taste good, and be hot. I almost choked on some dry chicken. A Christian gave me once. Guess they're trying to send me to their heaven. Because all people and all that people do have the creation and errant sustaining and ordained to be wisdom, of the wisdom and direction of God in and behind me. Which means, look, man, people can do some amazing things. They can move us and make us feel safe and make us think and feel in ways we've never before. They can cook and mix and harvest things that will make us forget our suffering and take us to third heaven. I don't know nothing about that. I've had dramas and hip-hop songs and movies and TV shows make me cry and be afraid and make me laugh so loud. I remember one time the Hills came over and we watched Medea's um, I Can Do All Bad By Myself. I can't even control myself now. There's a scene when a woman throws a radio in the water in the tub of the man who's like being a real jerk. And when that brother jumps out that pool, out that tub, we laugh for 15 to 20 minutes. We had to pause the movie. We went out on the porch and laughed. We were on the ground. Amari was on the ground and Sharice was sleeping. Woke up, what's going on in here? We can't stop laughing. On American Idol, Joshua Liddell, boy can sing. Huh? Ledette. See, I don't even know his name. Boy, just sound good. Ledette, Liddell, things sound good. He sung It's a Man's World, World made famous originally, done, originally by the Godfather Soul, James Brown. Brother blew it out. And at one point, Jayla, one of the judges, pushes her chair back, and when asked about it, she said, I went to church when he sang that song. It was so good. Then Randy says, we got religion. It was so much soul and passion and beauty and harmony to it. And I was in there acting the fool. Kelly! Rewind it. Rewind that again? Yeah, you see that? Acting fool. The world and humans using God's creational dignity and worth and wisdom can make us worship. And it communicates and connects us. But that is where we need to be careful. Because the Apostle Paul says here, cl here clearly, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. 
nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man uh, every nation and mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of the dwelling. Verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. God made humans to be able to find him and have relationship with him. That's how he created us in the garden. But when Paul talks about feeling our way to God here, he is not saying that we have the ability to find God by playing a great song. He is, he is one commentator saying, comparing us to the Cyclops in Homer's Odyssey, who once blind, though ferocious, has to feel his way around. In other words... Though God is right there, human beings are blind. We are in the dark about the Lord and in the darkness, in their fear and their being lost, that we will use our God-given imaginations and arts and creativity to make up a God or make God what and who he isn't. We will make up a good reason for life. We will come up with a, a reason to be happy. We will make the meaning of life to be happy or sad or beautiful or ugly. We will make believe or make ourselves and others believe we have found God per se and, and found life or, or that in all our seeking and thinking and experience and doing and living and loving and suffering that he might be there in the darkness. But God, the God y'all are talking about agnostically cannot be found. And people do an awesome job of explaining it. Everybody who's alive lives for something or nothing. And they are passionate about it. It is the air they breathe. It is their philosophy of living. Everybody has a religion. Even the one who is an irreligious has a religion called irreligious. And sometimes they do it by singing a song. Or sometimes they do it by, you know, I'm just being nice to everybody. That's my religion. Or I'm just taking care of the earth and being environmentally sound. That's my religion. Well, I'm taking care of my people. You know, I'm keeping it real. I'm, I'm ethnically strong and sound and conscious. That's my religion. Or I'm voting for the right people. That's my religion. So like Public Enemy says, we got to go with what you know. And we don't know a lot. Or we know a lot of the wrong things. Look, people are so good, they... That they, we, that they and we have made up brilliant, bull and creative crap and sensational stupidity of the scraps of creation. We have rigged something up and like fried scrapple or spam. Heck, if I know what it is, it tastes good. But like Gladys Knight says, everything good to you ain't always good for you. Look at verse 21 with me. Now all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. 
The Epicureans and Stoics, these very smart and spiritual people, have come up with all sorts of ideas for every little thing that this explanation or this experience, monumented by their gods, to make them happy and make sense today and tomorrow, something else. And they sing and dance and celebrate and worship around their reasons and meanings of life, even if they worship around nothingness of not knowing and being known by God. Just watch like, see, some of y'all have real jobs, so you can't be like me sometimes. Just start watching TV between four and six, all them talk shows. Boop. If you want to be happy, do this. Boop. You want to be, oh, look how old I am. I'm turning the channel like this. Boop. If you want to be happy, be like this. Boop. Just, we just always coming up with something new. Think about dieting. What was good back then? Right? The rotation diet. Y'all remember that thing? No, too old. Verse 23 says this. For I, as I pass along and observe the object of worship, worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. Here's what's sad about this. If they have an unknown God, then what does that say about them and you and me? That we are unknown. That we are nothing apart from what we can make or do or make ourselves feel important and value about in fitness world. But it's worse. Because if you are his offspring, as Paul is saying here, and he is unknown to us, if God is unknown to us, then God is a deadbeat dad kind of God. He simply sends the child support in the form of life and toys and art and imagination and craft supplies, might even pay your tuition. But he has left you figuring out life on your own. He has left you doing this life by yourself. He has left you and me spiritual orphans. That our deadbeat God is a God worth a statue because he pays his stuff. But he is in the dark when it comes to loving you and me personally. And Paul is saying God is more present and real than that. And for that reason, you and this life are more than you can make it of yourself. You are wiser than that. You were made in the image uh, and, and the offspring of not an unknown God but a known God. And if he is known, then you are known, which means you and I might be in the dark, but God is not, and he can and will seek to find and know you, which means he is not a statue or a thought or a theory or an experience or a bank account number or a career or vacation or an acceptance into this or that club. He is not a scientific law. He is not here one day and disapproving the next. No, he is here and alive and real and can be known, and this known God knows you. Get this, the case behind all civil rights and equality is right here, isn't it? That we don't have a God that, that one group of people has cast with their own hands. And I'm irritated. Look, I got, I got a whole nother sermon in me that I can't preach. Not allowed to. Maybe it's not a sermon. Maybe it's just a rant. But this political environment is ridiculous. That somehow the church has cast a God that can only be in one party. How do you do that? What kind of God is that? Not the one who's created people from all over in different nations and tribes and tongues and put them in different times and places to find him. No, the one who can pull the right lever. We have kind of a third God. 
man, I'm conservative. I believe the Bible is the word of God, inerrant word of God. I believe Jesus is divine. I believe he's, I believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I believe Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again. I'm orthodox, as they say. I believe in the Nicene Creed. I believe in Reformed historical Christianity, the tenets that came out of that in 1517. I believe that. But what I saw happen, oh, I can't do it. It's so easy to create a God that can't be God because we've cast him as our God. Having a God that, we don't have a God that rates us according to economics or IQ or ethnic values, understanding science or theory, where we are only accepted according to what people worship in this world or that otherwise we are nothing. God has not let you and me stand and live in ignorance that will hurt and make us fools. Look at verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That man, of course, is Jesus Christ. Paul's point is clear to them going back to what they heard he was preaching about in the streets. Jesus came to make the unknown God known. And God come in the flesh to us. Our ignorance about God and ourselves is enlightened by the appearing of Jesus Christ. His life and death and resurrection ours too. And let me tell you what makes the resurrection hard for them. They judge us at Mars Hill. So people come with their philosophies and they judge it. And back in the day they could condemn you to die if your philosophies are off or something. Their judgment's not the last judgment. And they feel if the resurrection is true, then they'll be resurrected to a Mars hill in the sky where they have to stand before one God with their 20 gods and try to make sense of it. They know they will not be accredited for their belief if they go to heaven. They're afraid. But Paul gives a message of grace here. He says God's going to credit, he's going to give credit of righteousness to people who are and were once ignorant. Those who had 40 gods and had a reason for live this way today and that way tomorrow, guess what? Through repentance, that's laying down your way of living, laying, laying down living this way or for that thing or for this pleasure or for this displeasure, you can lay that down and repent. And when you go to heaven, when there is a resurrection, you will be judged not ignorant but righteous. The Bible tells us that the number of these smart and resolved people came to Jesus. How did it happen? Jesus is the wisdom that can't be outdone and outsmarted by any. In this world, people need 20,000 explanations and gods, but the Bible teaches that a word, that's the gospel, to the wise is sufficient. That when the gospel is preached and shared in the condition and language and context of people's worlds and the lives, that the Holy Spirit comes on that thing like match to a fuel and kaboom there is light and like a moth to a flame burned by the fire they give their lives and thoughts over to Jesus that's the way love the love of God in Christ is it is the brilliance 
of the gospel, the story of the life and death of Jesus Christ given to his people who are ignorant, who can't figure it out. His church at a human level carrying around a divine wisdom in our hearts and in our lives that should come out of our mouths to others. Yeah, engage the world. Read up. Do some reading. Get frustrated like I do reading stuff. What's this? Not trying not to be me and mad this morning. Engage the world. If you got some people in the gardening, learn something about some plants. Go over there and talk or learn from them. Hey, man, I don't know nothing about these plants. Can you show me? And when they tell you how the plants work, man, you praise the, you praise the Lord. I've hung out with some cats and they explained something to me. Like I went to the NASCAR place. I ain't a NASCAR guy. I like to keep my shirt on all day. But I went to, no, no, I, I used to think like that until I went to Joe Gibbs Racing, like went to the place where they build the cars. Boy, brothers from NASA working in that bad boy. Well, you know, the track is this many degrees, so we have to have these kind of tires and this kind of suspension. And they all got this thing mapped up on the computer, and oh, my goodness. I was like, thank you, Jesus, for NASCAR. Hallelujah. Look what you've done. Look at the perfection of degrees and angles and steel and, and rubber and all kind of things going on and room and ram and smoke and gas lighting. Hallelujah, Lord. That is the nature you've set in force, and these people have discovered it, and they've shared it with me, and I'm amazed not just by them, but by you. you got to enter in. Here's the deal. You don't know how, you don't have to be as smart or know about what they know as well as, as they know it. You don't have to. You have to appreciate and then tell them about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the context in which they can understand it. But you got to drop that stuff. Got to say something. I know it's going to sound foolish. We come, we fed all these smart guys. You know, Jesus, a guy that with the long hair who was running around here who died, that's the Lord. That's God. He rose again. People saw him. I saw him when I got knocked off a horse on the way up the road. Believe in him. I don't know, what is this fool talking about? In fact, the word babbling means seed picker, right? Spermologos. You're just picking up every little thing you can have and spreading it all around. You don't know what you're talking about, Paul. The gospel is no babbling. Jesus is the sauce and gravy of life. With him on top of all things, I don't care what it is. Mixed in all things, he just brings our lives and all things together. With him covering us, anything, it can be holy and declared righteous. He makes life have a broth. To have a right balance and season to it. And we can take our lives and dump it in his broth. And, and as we simmer in his grace and love, we learn to worship the true and living God in true and living ways. 
go to the world. As Christ actively seeks people in this world who are in the dark. Spread it all over everything and everyone. Try to apply it. Don't look like it's going to fit. Try it anyway. Sometimes God does fit a square peg in a round hole. I've seen him do it. He did it for me. I was a fool. Draw them in this and that and throw this and that into the mix of his grace. One Lord, one gospel, one Jesus, one word. For the word's wisdom. Is sufficient. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, take us, take us to the Mars Hills of our community and our families. Take us to, to places of thought and where people talk all kind of junk and mess and even some good stuff and even some wrong stuff, Lord. Uh, help us go back to the barbershop, Lord. Help, help, us, help us to go, you know, spend some time in Harris Teeter talking to people, Lord. Help us engage. And for those of us who don't know God and have an unknown God, stand up, Lord Jesus, stand up. And show us yourself. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We come to the Lord's Supper this morning. So many disciplines. So many arts. So many humanities. So many angles. So many people. It's almost infinite. Not infinite, but it's almost infinite. I'm sure there's a number to it. God knows. But you know what's awesome? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one table. Drawing all the once ignorant folk around the divine knowledge that is Jesus Christ. Around all these blind folk, man, we've all been groping at one time. Around the divine revelation, which is Jesus Christ. To eat it, to drink his grace, to be reminded, to let the lights come on for some of us again and again. To, to simmer in the gravy and broth of his grace once again. I don't care what humanity you're involved in, what art, what, what party, what, what, what social standing, what, what, what ethnicity. This is one table offering one grace for as many different disciplines and ways of thinking you can imagine. And Christ calls us to repent from whatever angle we approach this table from. To once again give over our excellence to him, to give over our lack of excellence to him, to come and eat his grace. Is his people who need that? If you're not a believer today, Scripture simply says, don't take this supper. This is for those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who've repented, who in the dark the Lord has snatched out of darkness and given them light. They ain't special. They're just as ignorant as anybody else. The Lord's not ignorant, so he found them. For those of you who are struggling, man, there's some struggles going on right now. You're looking for a new way of living? 
If you are a believer looking for a new way of living, looking for a new pleasure to cover your pain, repent and come to this table. If you're not getting along with somebody in here, you're trying to cause confusion, using the community and association and Facebook and everything else just to stir up trouble. If you want to destroy somebody's life in here, don't come to this table, the Bible says, until you can work it out. And it may mean beginning the process. If you've begun the process of reconciliation, please come. You need this grace. I urge you not to be lost in your work and your affairs and things that make you excellent. Come to the Lord's table and once again be united to the divine knowledge and revelation of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for your salvation. Scripture says on the night he was betrayed, Christ took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. He said, take, eat, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Scripture says in the same manner after supper, he also took the cup. He says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Drink from it, all of it. 